you're listening to the Spanners and Coffee podcast. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Spanners and Coffee webcast. And as promised, you join us here live at the Ace Cafe, just off the North Circular. The world famous Ace Cafe, I think it is fair to say. And I am joined here by my fellow presenters, Alex and Dan. But most importantly, our VIP guest for this week, a man who needs no introduction. Somebody who is central to the biking scene in the UK and in fact across the world, I will go as far as to say, Mark Willsmore, were the managing director of the Ace Cafe, but that doesn't do it justice. That, that job title doesn't do it justice. He is part one of the directors, part of the team that brought the Ace Cafe back after it had a hiatus. And um, I think I'll let Dan ask the first question about that um, that hiatus. So why, why did it take so long in the hiatus? Why did you wait till the 90s to come and open the ace? I guess it's best summed up with life prior to the 90s involved hospital, motorbikes, work, yes, going out, meeting up with friends, etc. But it's only once that... Um, group of friends sharing the same interest, in this instance motorcycles, rock and roll, that traversing to spots where people used to meet and used to go, that included coming here, that the, um, I'd say the flame was lit or the button pressed. And the specifics of that are that I'd become a bit of an organiser for motorcycle trips off to the Isle of Man, off to the Dutch TT, off to the Boldor, a bit of a Mr. Organiser, as it were. And um, one evening, at the tail end of 1993, at the Triumph Owners Club branch near here, which was a member, West Middlesex branch, one night over there, a dear friend who did used to come here said to me, well, asked me, did I know when the ace shut? And I said, no, I don't know when it shut. I can vaguely remember it being open. And, of course, he starts taking the mickey, really. Um, you know, a sort of wannabe rocker, got the leather jacket, got the bike and the rest of it, but I don't know when the ace shut. Kind of teasing away. And then he said that it closed in, the, in September 69. My first response to that was, well, so what? His immediate response to that was, well, think about it, which I did. And after some several minutes, counting on my fingers, I, I realised that the following year, 1994, it would be 25 years since the place had shut. And that was, I would say, the first of uh, two light bulbs. In this instance, that first light bulb was, blimey, a reunion shared that with the guys at, at, the, at the club, at the Triumph Owners. I'll organise that. And, yeah, how can I help? How can I help? Everybody was up for it. And um, pretty convinced that I could make that happen for various reasons. And a little while after that, it's then the realisation that, actually, there'll be thousands of people come to that. It'll be really some, some occasion of significance and that that would be the evidence to prove that actually the place should and in fact could be reopened. 
how to do that was an entirely different uh, challenge of its own. But yeah, it's the tail end of 93, a dear friend who I still, still see from time to time, planted that seed firmly, and um, as a consequence, yes, the place subsolutely reopened as you see today, as you see here tonight. But Mark, why did you want to do that? Why did you want to reopen the ACE? What was it about the ACE that was special? I mean, there were loads of transport calves around the country that welcomed bikers that were... Uh, what was it about the ACE that well, was I, special? I guess this is, is the place that was notorious. And with the benefit of hindsight, we can see why. It wasn't just the activities, as it were, that went on here, around here, because as you just remarked, that happened all over the length and breadth of this country. But the perhaps uniqueness of these particular premises was that at that time this was easily accessible by the press. So reports and whether in national newspapers, on the TV uh, and in bike press, they could easily punt up here, chat to the youngsters, get a story. So this place was in the press and in the public eye for all the wrong reasons, it could be said. I was going to say, when a, you say notorious, is that because there were fights? That was because, you know, we, no, we know it the is stuff notorious about Brighton. because of the carnage on the roads, ah. which, given the context, at, at that time, back in the day, there was no speed limit other than 30 mile an hour in towns, and certainly on an arterial road, which the North Circular would have been designated at that time, an arterial, there was no speed limit. Combine that with um, L-plate laws of that era, in essence, go and get a provisional license and provided you displayed an L-plate, you could ride a bike of any size you, you wished. What There's no possibly, training or anything. What so. could possibly go wrong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little surprise, carnage. But in those days, you were a copper. You weren't... Well, you know, no, no, you weren't no, not, not in the days that I'm speaking of there, no. I, I, I was a, a mere sprog. <laughs> um, you know, 1966, many will remember for the World Cup... I was nine years old, and I did go to the uh, England v Germany game, albeit the schoolboys international of that same year, 1966. But the, the thing that sits in my mind in particular about that year is I happened to live at that time near a place called Woburn Abbey. And Woburn Abbey hosted the first BMF rally in 1966, and that was thousands upon thousands of people. There were scooters there as well, but... Thousands of motorbikes, shiny aluminium tanks, black leather jackets. And from that moment on, I wanted one. <laughs> and um, growing up, as the years go by, you get to hear about this place, the Ace. And every once in a while, I'd see it from your dad's car going past. Oh, I want to go there, I want to go there. And of course, that all passed me by because the place shut in 69. But um, that hankering for a place that, one could identify with and think of as home became more and more relevant to, I would say, myself and a peer group growing up as youngsters with motorbikes, love of rock and roll, and indeed, I would say, classic American cars and hot rods. A plethora of places opening all over the city, but none of them one could think of as home. This place, however, I'm going to say a bit like Wembley, just up the road, regarded as home for football. This place, I tend to think, is a, sort of a place for those of us with an interest in motors, as we say down here. So, just what was happening to this place between it 
being shut and open, was it just derelict, not being used, or was it being used for multi different well, things? Well, the storyline is, is really that, yeah, 1938, this place, the cafe, was built alongside Ace filling station, Ace motor showrooms, workshops, a huge estate, in, in essence, something akin to today's motorway services. And the whole lot got destroyed in an air raid in 1940, and thence was replaced very quickly by temporary buildings to include a temporary cafe. So it all functioned throughout the war, open 24 hours a day, and, and I understand was very, very busy. However, post-war, that temporary building was torn down and was replaced by the building that we're sat in this evening. And combined with a, I'd say the post-war baby boom, that in this country went out and bought the fastest thing they could afford was a motorbike. It was, uh, uh, in essence, a, a magnet for every youngster uh, uh, around. It had a jukebox playing the then new music, rock and roll. You couldn't hear it anywhere else except on jukeboxes back then or at the fairground, I, I should add. So they had its own soundtrack, in particular from 56, that uh, rock and roll soundtrack. And the place thrived. Motorcycle sales, as you may well be aware, went up and up and up in this country up till 1959. And in 59, they reached their peak of sales. It's the year that Triumph came out with their then revolutionary bike, the Bonneville. But a car manufacturer came out with a brand new car that was cheaper than all those top bikes. And that car was called the Mini. And that changed everything. Because in the subsequent years, other manufacturers brought out, I would say, equivalent price-pitched vehicles. So motorcycle sales uh, ultimately have only ever gone down since 1959, with the odd blip every now and again whereas car sales just skyrocketed from 59 onwards. So you then wind up with a circumstance by 1969 where the chap who had opened this huge estate of the cafe, filling station, etc., he sold up each piece, the cafe, the filling station, as separate entities. And the people who bought the cafe, within two weeks they'd stripped it out and turned it into a tyre fitting premises, basically for tyres for these tens of thousands of cars that are trundling past the cafe by 1969, commercial reason, simple commercial reason, people wanted tyres, here's a place to buy them. That's why, um, in essence, the place hadn't got flattened in the, in, since then. Uh, and yeah, with 93 and the idea to host that first reunion and then suddenly reopen it was just a stroke of luck that it hadn't been flattened as I say and was still here. So did you have to restore the place a lot what was the vision to go back to what it was and put some of the memories that were there from back in the 50s and all? Mm, yeah I, 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 yeah the, 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 the vision was pretty much as you see in as much that whence it was stripped out all the windows went so that each of the window bays you see today, there'd have been areas where a car could drive straight in. 
the ramp that's in front of those windows was added by the um, people selling those tyres, but the internals were entirely stripped out. But you could clearly see from the marks on the ceiling and on the floor, etc., where the counter had been, and there are so many photographs, it was reasonably straightforward to look at what was and figure out where it ought perhaps be now. However, what was the, the, the big changes were that we took the view that actually this space, which back in the day had been two separate spaces, a cafe and a restaurant, the cafe being an area where drivers and their mates, as it were, and the kids with the bikes would go, where the restaurant was very much for white-collar, uh, the white-collar workforce of this immediate environs. And that division is all to do with you know, mucky, dirty people covered in oil and grease, keeping off the chairs where people in half-decent suits working in offices are going to be sitting. So we took the view that actually, no, one big open space, and that necessitated moving a staircase that you can see that to this day, the metal staircase that there's no access to upstairs for the public back in a day, whereas today that's where all the um, facilities are, or delicately put it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's making it a, a, big, a bigger, a more open space than previous. We also took the view that actually to move that concrete ramp that's outside would cost an absolute fortune. So better off just leave it there and have the windows, as you see today, which actually f double as doors in the better weather. But that was never the case in the original building. So it's the idea is basically open it up and uh, make it to that easier to get in and out of anticipating the crowds uh, as indeed was that which exactly unfolded when it was event eventually reopened fully in 2001. Um, Mark, I just want to say it's a big step going from where you were to suddenly thinking, I'm going to run a cafe. Did you have any experience beforehand or just as a customer or was well, it just a kind of leap of faith? I, I've got experience of being a customer in cafes, yes. But I can say my cooking skills are, are limited really to toast, anything on toast or with toast, and tea. I can, I can make tea or fine tea almost anywhere. Um, no, it, it, it's, I liken it, I, I'll say I can ride anything you give me, motorbike or horse. Not very well, I've fallen off of both, but it doesn't make me a vet or a, or a mechanic. But there are people out there who have those skills. So, yeah, it, it seemed to me no... Um, and it wasn't going to be impossible to get the cafe reopened. I might not know how to cook fish and chips, but I know that this is a place where people will want to eat fish and chips. Mark, you mentioned horses there, and I want to come back to that, because that's what you did when you were a copper. You were a mounted mounted police officer so, yep. so we just you know when you were when you were a kid you drove past with your dad you saw the cafe open but you weren't really coming to the ace at that point but you had a picture in your mind of what it was and so there, there's when when we came back to the reunion and you reopened you were really reopening a dream you know something that wasn't it was a dream of what it originally was you weren't trying to do exactly what it was when it reopened, no, but it was no, the dream no. and i'll come back to that but in, I, I in, the intermediate it, I, years, in my view it's going to be as relevant 
today as it was back in the day. Yeah, that that home. But I want to speak about the in the intermediate years. You decided to go and join the police force, and you became a mounted police officer. How that's that that I can't yeah, quite draw strange, that line. Yeah, it's a strange one. Yeah, perhaps. But ultimately, I guess it, it's two things as as a youngster. Um, yeah, love motorbikes, love getting on horses and riding them, and. Um, as a stage where I was seen on a horse and, and someone did say that I could be a jockey. Then I got too big. And um, the ambition, again, putting it very simply, is I wanted to join the army, ride horses. And, of course, all the horrors in Ireland, and, or more accurately, more, all the horrors in Northern Ireland, Thankfully, my mum said, kept saying no, 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 that, uh, not to, so I didn't. And the next alternative is uh, the police. So yeah, joined the police with the purpose of uh, getting into the mountain branch. And that was, that was you. I, I've heard you tell stories about the police, you know, the, the the games, the football matches, and policing the football matches, and you'd be up one end of London doing a, a football match in the morning and in the afternoon you'd be at a demonstration. That seems to be like the the golden era of mounted policing. It, it, perhaps, it perhaps was with a bit of hindsight because certainly as an old bloke now going to the annual reunions around Christmas time, it, it's still young, you know, youngsters come along to that who are currently serving in the, in the branch and, and I can't think of the numbers we had in my service, but certainly today it's a fraction of the numbers. Uh, and yes, like everything else across society, we try to look for ways of avoiding the employment of people. So if you can have a armoured up man in a van, or lots of armoured up men in a van, that's going to be cheaper than having horses. So you wind up with demonstrations and things police today by um, sort of robocop looking <laughs> people with all this gear um, I think there's uh, a spirit uh, of there's a spirit <laughs> of, of, of independence and adventure in both of those things aren't there I mean just riding a horse and riding a motorbike yeah, the motorbike is perhaps the modern cowboy the uh, that independent spirit that independent uh, sense of adventure I, do you think there was I, there's I, something I, there the, the, I, I, I do agree again with the with this benefit of hindsight, I look back on my policing career, a career I thoroughly enjoyed, and can, what I see today is a police service that is utterly transformed, albeit the expectations of the public haven't changed one iota. What is delivered and how it is delivered by police it is unrecognisable from my, the period of my career. And certainly in the period of my career, yes, there were ranks above me, the senior you know, officers of rank above me, but ultimately I was accountable to the court. Today, policemen are merely witness gatherers for the Crown Prosecution Service. It's almost like the police have been turned into national gendarmerie. 
But this is that, is that. Do you think there is a link between that independent spirit of adventure, you know, of riding a horse and riding a motorbike? You know, I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking. Well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm trying to sure. picture you that lad want, that you, drove past you, with his dad and saw all you, of these you want, you notorious want, blokes of the East Cafe. You want to see how fast it will go <laughs> and how long you can keep that up for? But you don't want to be jumping fences on the motorbike. Well, I, I wouldn't say I've necessarily tried that. Where well, I've tried jumping on my, but they, they have ended in disaster. <laughs> and so, so you go through the policing career and you, you, you come out in the 1990s and you're coming out to the police at, at that point. You're starting because you came off, didn't you? You had, a, you had an I'd accident. Lo I had lots of accidents. So the thing I've already said, I've never been a very good rider of either horse or bike. I just thoroughly enjoy riding. And indeed... The, um, the skill set was such that nah, perhaps I shouldn't have done that. Being able to reflect quite uh, at some quite considerable length, because it, it was my brother that added it up once. That he reckoned I'd been in hospital for five years with <laughs> di the different crashes. Most of them are motorbike crashes, I might add. It, it's arms, shoulders, legs, fingers. Knees and toes. It, <laughs> Sorry? Knees and toes. Exactly. And toes. There's a song about it, isn't I mean, there? Alex is trying to catch you up. The, 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 uh, Alex didn't feature in the, uh, in the last podcast because he was uh, recovering in hospital after coming off on uh, an electric bike, which only goes to prove they're dangerous. Very. Highly dangerous electric bikes. I wouldn't ride one of those. But, Mark, we've spoken, and you seem to be quite keen on the whole electric thing. It, it, it's, it's how fast it can go. For that, <laughs> I don't see... All right, I, I might miss the noise, for sure. That would be something I'd miss. But it's how fast they go and how long they can go for. And, and seeing youngsters in this huge city we're in, whizzing about on them with ease and at speeds where, where I'd perhaps be sat at 40 mile an hour, got average speed cameras, etc., etc. Because these wholly illegal e-scooters I think it's with an app or something you, get, you download an app and then you can do something with your electric scooter you can, you can and you've got a 70, 80 mile an hour yeah. piece of kit and they're going belting past me doing the speed limit I mean we're not suggesting that's what Alex did to his no, electric motorbike no, no. <laughs> no I was on the oh, really fine electric Harley but yeah because the, the, the kids that were here and I say that the, the young the young people who were here the kids who were here in the 1950s and 1960s were pushing the boundaries of what was legal what was acceptable what was okay and nothing has changed that's still not. happening that's it. now that's it. it's still the kids who are here now are on the electric scooters unlocking them doing 70 miles an hour and getting getting that's getting it. collared by the police yeah or or, or, or um, taking a tour of the local NHS, if, <laughs> if, if, if they're lucky. Well, that's great, because you can show them round, can't yeah. you? <laughs> I know the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> and is it, because you said about speed, so for you, is it still speed? You haven't Absolutely. found yourself slowing Absolutely. down Absolutely, it's the feeling, the sensation. It might be as I get older that I don't need to do 120, you get the sensation of, oh, my goodness, that's brilliant. I might, you might find it a 30. Uh, as I would suggest anybody can in heavy London traffic when you're filtering at 35, 40 or, or more in heavy traffic that is an exhilarating buzz Mark means more because I came out of the Ace Cafe behind you on the run down to Brighton and you filtered on the North Circular at a speed that scared the hell out of me 
But it's the buzz. It, it, it's, I guess it's just adrenaline junkie. Yeah. And, and, and having had a, a taste of it, you can't give it, it's a drug. You can't give it up. And that's still the sense here, isn't it? There is a sense that the ace is a place for people who push at the edge. Who, 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 um, who just, who, who want to do more, who aren't quite happy with the status quo, who want to experience more than they've, that, that, than is necessarily okay. Well, I think it's that, and I think it's, it's more as well. So I brought my son down. I live about half an hour away. I said to my son, we're going to have breakfast. Get on the bike. We rode down to the ace. We were outside uh, taking photos. The smile on his face on that photo was just amazing. Ace Cafe sign in the background. Come in here, have breakfast. I take another photo. You know, it becomes like a special memory coming to the Ace to have breakfast with my son on that bike. And so I think it's like it's, the Ace has developed into this, such an iconic thing that you know, people will bring. And in, even that day, there was another guy with his son and they, were, they came to stop here and they were going to drive around London on the bike and we heard them. And it's part of their journey. It was part of like, we're going to London, but we got to stop at the Ace. So I think it's become more. Do you find that? I, I recognise what you're describing, but I, uh, I'm tempted to, to illustrate it is. It's great to be able to go to Silverstone to see Formula One. It's great to be able to go to Donington to see MotoGP. And you can go along to Bike Club. I've mentioned the one that I, I would go to, the Triumph Owners, West Middlesex branch. But the home, a bit like coming back to Wembley and home for football, this place is a bit like a home for those with that same interest. And furthermore, if, if you go to Silverstone for the Formula One, that's great. And you can get the, you know, the, the, the Ferrari, the AMG shirt, hat and all the rest of it. But to be in the pit lane at Formula One, that's, that really is something special where you've got all the drama, you know, the, the, the epicentre of the drama. And I think that this place somehow uh, uh, can at least be said to represent that drama and as well as be a home for it. And if you, again, it's another an, an analogy with food, we might have our... Um, taste buds triggered by sight, let alone smell, by sound of that sizzling bacon or the sizzling steak. Sorry, vegans, I can't think of a <laughs> <laughs> something else. The crunchy vegans carrots, don't listen the to crunchy carrots. Carrots. No, <laughs> the crunchy carrots. Bacon, I think, gets but, vegans excited. But it's, it's where all, the, all, all, these, all, all these human quali uh, sensations can all combine uh, and it and, and, and this place seems to represent that. Uh, uh, and, and ultimately, that's, that's a consequence of the people who come here, sharing an interest. We might moan, oh, blooming diesel engines or old electric stuff, or not all, all of that. Actually, we all share the same blooming interest. 
but we can't wait to say mine's better than yours. <laughs> but Mark, I think there's more to it than that because, and I think you do yourself a disservice when you say that, because part of the success of this place, of it feeling like home, is because of you. Because it doesn't matter who comes in here, it doesn't matter if you're a lad on an illegal electric scooter or you're an old geezer on a Harley, you welcome everybody with such warmth and love that that is what goes through the place. So everybody feels at home here. You're a, you're a big part of that. Well, uh, you're a man of the collar. I'm not. But I think it, it comes down to a sort of, I'll say, sort of what seems to me a church thing. If you, you welcome everybody with open arms. And it's only on very rare occasions that one might have cause to perhaps reflect on the wisdom of that. On the whole, uh, open arms and welcoming can, in my experience, can only improve one's own life, let alone perhaps help improve lives and circumstance of others. So, I, I'm, and again, I come, come to think of um, uh, policing on a horse, often as not without a radio. One would encounter everything that any other policeman would encounter, you know, victims of nasty crimes with knives stuck in them and all the rest of it, but actually didn't really need a radio most of the time because in this great city, you can always turn to somebody, stop the vehicle and say, Oi, mate, can you get down the phone box? We'll get around, there's a police station just around the corner. That's my experience. You know, basically welcome people and they respond to that and they respond to each other in that same way. You're touching on faith there ever so slightly. The, the 59 Club and clergy and the church have been involved in the ACE, you know, almost from the get-go. 1959, yes. of course, Father Bill came here and invited people no, to... Well, no, no, the 59 Club started as a youth club, beg yeah. pardon. It's in, as that youth, youth club grew, and at that time, of course, 14-year-olds going to a youth club, they all wanted a motorbike, they all wanted to be a ton-up boy. And as that club grew, it needed um, a, 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 another vicar to come along and help run it. As the vicar had started it, the late Father John Oates, he, he, he was um, being drawn away from his parish work or parish duties. So another vicar was, well, I don't know the terminology here, but I'll say posted to the club. And that vicar was Father Bill. And he was a motorcyclist. So it seems to me that all those kids at the youth club, ah, we've got a vicar with a motorbike. And of course they kept on and on at him to um, come here and invite the boys here to the club. And he did that in May 1962, inviting them to the church uh, of, um, over in Hackney to a blessing of the bikes. The church was packed, the bikes were in the church, and that attracted press interest and gave exposure to what was going on. And of course, kids all over the country then wanted to join the club. And having done so, the, the, the number of people with motorbikes just grew and grew, who, who, who were members, and it eventually became a motorcycle club. But that's from 1962 onwards when, when he visited here. And that connection between the local churches, clergy youth clubs, and the ACE continues now, well, the, the, it? it does, but the need is still there. Mm. <laughs> P 
again, it may seem a bit crass, but um, all life, it, 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 it has its season. So in terms of us as mankind, it seems to me there's always a new crop of youngsters coming along who think they're indestructible. And actually the intervention of adults, adults who, who can engage and uh, perhaps steer them it is absolutely necessary, and that is no different today to what it was but yesteryear. But there's something about bikes that enables that to happen, though, isn't it? And you see it at For the sure. Ace really, sure. really often. For sure. You'll see the old grizzled guy who's who's been there and done it, talking to the lad who's on the electric, and they're speaking to one another with with a shared love and a shared respect. And that lad who won't listen to um, won't listen to his teachers, won't listen to his parents, won't listen to anybody else will listen to that that yeah. grizzled old rider yeah, who's been there and done it. If you have to speak to somebody on the same terms yeah. and, and, and on the same basis, yes, there's, um, I think it's evident that there's more likely to be pick up and uh, follow on from that, yes. Um, I was going to say, we, looking round at us, um, we are a kind of ageing demographic. Yes, the grizzled old... We geezers. are the grizzled old men. I don't know what well, I'm talking about. drifting towards hey, that. Hey, 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 hey. No, you I can't say that when no, people can't no, see no, no, us. No, no, That's no, unfair. No. People... Um, I mean, I'm 24. Are you... <laughs> I was going to say, where do you see it going? The, the future of motorcycling, the future of the ACE, that the whole motorcycling community on that. I, I think you, 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 you've, you've scratched a very raw nerve there. This... this ultimately is a topic of conversation, I'm sure. The length and breadth of the land and a little wider than where you started it from. But I would, and have already today a couple of times with people, made the observation that we on this little island, like much of the Western world, are living in an ever-increasingly aging demographic. Whereas back in the 50s and 60s there was this ever-increasing young demographic and that majority typically set not just the laws of the land as it were but also all the social mores so today we have a society where the laws and the social mores are all being set by an aging populace that is well make the generalisation saying all, all about looking through the curtains oh they shouldn't be doing that oh that's bad for you whereas uh, I'll use the bus stop opposite the ACE a group of perhaps 14 year olds might be over there and the 18 year old walking past wouldn't even notice them the 25 year old walking past that group of 14 year olds would think perhaps they've got nothing better to do. But 60-year-olds will see those 40 and go, what are they doing? I bet they're up to no good. So our society changes as a consequence. And similarly, in respects of motorcycles and motorcycling, there's this ever-increasing array of choices for those with resource, and that's typically... The the people 55 years old or older. So you can have your adventure bike, you can have your retro bike, you can have your cruiser bike, your sports bike. And then there's this marginal, I'd go so far as to say, marginalised, almost underclass, 
that are well nigh invisible to most who are running around delivering our pizzas and cokes on their two-wheelers, be they electric or petrol, who've got, working all the hours God sends for next to nothing, living in awful conditions, perhaps six or eight of them to a room, who've invariably arrived on this little island from somewhere else. In essence, our new working class are called immigrants. We don't call them the working, but we're treating them in exactly the same way as the working class were treated in the 19th century. So yes, I could go into a very dark side here, but nonetheless, it is also my view that as the demographics change and there are more youngsters, we start out, they start to outnumber, well, their numbers increase at least, they'll start to get a more of a voice and their voice will then be heard and that all chimes or all fits with a change in technology where who at 18 could afford an R1M? Very few are far between. Many an 18 year old into two wheels would absolutely die for an R1M, but what they've got actually is a big old e-scooter and they get their buzz via that. So Mark, just bringing, we're sat in this iconic building, we're near where the band would be, we've got bikes near us that are set up, everyone comes and sees them, and I can only imagine the amount of memories that are in this place, but in you, have you got any really iconic memories of your time here, maybe an evening or a meet-up or, you know, what really sticks out in your mind when you think back? I think there's two illustrations that I can give you. One is huge crowds here. Roads have changed since and laws have changed. But huge crowds, almost on the scale of football matches. Huge, huge crowds that absolutely um, at the face of it would look perhaps to those unfamiliar with such crowds as a horrifying prospect. <laughs> But actually, they're all here, uh, uh, and would eat, you know, would eat sugar lumps out of your hand, as it were. And on this particular evening, I can remember being engaged by a much older, little old fellow anyway, wandered in here, and he sought me out and asked me how long this place had been opened. And I said to him, whatever it was, five years, ten years at, at the time, he said, because I used to come here. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody told me it was open. He said, oh, I'm sorry about that, but you know, <laughs> I didn't know you used Did to come here. Did you not tell everyone in London? So, and then I asked him, where's he from? It turned out he's from about 300 yards away, the back of the place <laughs> here, uh, uh, over in Hever, Hever Parkway, which isn't just behind the, behind the cafe. So that will stick with me for life, that there's this bloke around the corner. <laughs> anyway, the, the other is, again, another big crowd night and there have been other occasions like this and um, again it's a little frail old chap who comes in here to this day on a regular basis he lives on his own just behind the cafe here and um, this, eve this particular evening I'm recalling which I think is a good illustration of the crowd uh, and their sort of behaviour uh, 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 as I just said huge crowd traffic 
absolutely log jammed. And it's a car thing, there's sound systems, it, uh, absolutely extraordinary vista. But hooning betwixt the traffic and people crossing the road to check out vehicles and whatnot, are two or three youngsters on sports bikes. And they're giving it the biggie, the biggies on, on the old throttle, lifting up the front and screaming motor and all the rest of it. And I'm, along with other marshals, got orange high-vis on, and it's just by the front gate area, but in the middle of the carriageway. And traffic is static, people are all in that road, and there's an awful sound of bike hitting, and you turn around and see the guy I've just mentioned up in the air, must have been 12 foot up in the air, and he came down with a thump, the bike has just carried on and gone. The, there's blood everywhere from the poor old chap. The crowd have instantly um, come into sort of, I'd say, first, made, first aid emergency mode. Two lads identify themselves to me and say, we'll go and get some high-vis. So they did that. Another couple of lads said, we saw where he'd gone, we're going off after him. Thank you for that, and I recognise that the, the lad's concerned. Anyway, the long and the short of it is, um, ambulance, etc., etc. It was touch and go whether this chap would survive. So family members from up country came down. And um, as I've already, I think I've already said, he, he still comes into this day for his cup of tea and look at the bikes, look at the cars. But the remarkable thing is, though those that went off in pursuit of him didn't catch the person, a week later he handed himself in, I believe it was into Watford Police Station, because he knew he was in essence a persona non grata down here, and that peers would, who kind of half knew who it was and who it was likely to be, and I'd say peer group pressure is a wonderful thing when it's managed in such a uh, such and, and the outcome has been as it as it turned out and, and they just stick with me that actually all the help you might need is there immediately around you that's the thing isn't it is it's built up as a community people that know each other come here regularly and and, and but people who just pop in and be part of that community and i think that's that's the iconic thing about this place as well it's you identify with it, you, you can be, yeah. become part of it, or want to become part of it as well. You want to come here. I, d I don't think community is strong enough a word. It's, yeah. it's family, isn't it? That's the, that's the thing, it's family. And if you come to the ACE and you've been here more than once, or you come semi-regularly, be, you become part of that family. So when somebody in your family is hurt, you, you flock around yep. and yep. You, you, you help. And, and people get hurt in different ways like the way you've just described, but there are also people who come in here. There is somebody who comes in here regularly who I know is in hospital today. Um, and we had a little cry earlier in the week as I gave them a hug and told them everything was going to be okay. And, you know, I don't know this person incredibly well, but we see each other in here a lot, and they felt able to, to share that, and I've shared things with, with people here. Yeah, that's it's, it's a, about sharing. Yeah. yeah. That's it.
Mark, I want to pick up as we head towards the end of this um, this podcast. I have a, a burning question, which um, has really irritated me since kind of like the very early two thousands when I first started coming here when I first came to London. And it's uh, it it's I can't understand. It's my only criticism. It's, my it's, accent? No, 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 no. This is it's a very important question. Your special breakfast has um, one sausage. And it costs more than your big breakfast, which has two sausages. Can you please help me understand uh, the, 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 the inadequacy in the more expensive breakfast? In, in, in short, no. Everything, everything goes on the other side of that counter. is an entire <laughs> mystery to me. I, I, I venture uh, the others in the, the, the team here. I'm, I understand the people in the car park up to that counter. Once you get to the other side of that counter, I've not a clue. Really. I can see where the tea bags are in the milk car, so I, 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 can, I can just about cope with it. Maybe it's to create conversation, because we had that conversation while we were having dinner before this podcast. Maybe it's just done to just, uh, get, get conversation. There's yeah. no rhyme or reason, but everyone right. talks. Do you find that people talk about your breakfast and the missing sausage? Well, the instant it, coffee surely oh, oh, is a oh, thing. Oh, it, it, it's the first I've heard of it. Now, that might be because I've not been listening, paying attention or reading my emails. I doubt it, but it is the first that's come to my, come my Inquiring attention. Inquiring minds want to know why the breakfast... Yeah, it's, it's, it does also, seem an oddity, that's for sure. Uh, I have to say, I think it's probably a sharing thing. I think the trick is, you know, part of the community is... Somebody orders a big breakfast, somebody orders a special breakfast, you have one and a half sausages each. <laughs> that's the way to do it. And that's, it's kind of like, it's the breaking bread yeah. of, <laughs> of the Ace Cafe. Nailed it. Well, there we are. We, we have, over the last half an hour or so, talked about the dream of the Ace Cafe, the family of the Ace Cafe. We've, we've talked to its father in Mark, person who brings us all together and loves us into this this family. Mark, thank you very much for the time that you've spent with us today and we look forward to many more sausages and instant coffee I, with you I, in the future. I, 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 I likewise, although given that this is... I'm going to invite you to say it now. <laughs> I got it right? Spanners, spanners and, and coffee? coffee? The, the spanners comes spanners. first. <laughs> I'll, of the two, I, I know I'm a tea addict. Leave me out from the spanners, please. I'll stick to the coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in soon. Uh, our next podcast is going to be with Stacey and with Suzanne Martin, who are going to be sharing with us how their huge round-the-world adventure is going. They've just started in the US. They're back very briefly in the UK, and they're going to be sharing how that adventure is going. So make sure you stay tuned to the Spanners and Coffee podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spanners and Coffee podcast. 